BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. Our guest today is the CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising. Welcome. Thank so you glad for joining to be with you. us. Thank you, Fran. Thank you. Your background is interesting. You were Midwest Bureau Chief for Reuters, Special Advisor to World Business Chicago, Managing Editor of the Chicago News Cooperative, a columnist for the Tribune on business, and here you are running the Better Government Association, which is, has its own newsroom now. Right. Um, we have uh, an investigative reporting staff, and we do really in-depth investigations uh, into uh, our mission of transparency, efficiency, and accountability in government. And, and we do deep dives into stories like last, last year we published a lengthy piece about Ed Burke and all of his conflicts of interest, which was underway at the time the feds raided Burke's offices. Did you know it? Uh, no, we, that came as a surprise, and our story was still some weeks away from our planned publication, but we scrambled and got out the best story we could as quickly as we could. We thought that voters had a need to know whatever they could about Burke before they went to the polls in February. Of course, they went to the polls and we elected him with a strong majority. So before the butcher paper went up on his glass doors out of his office in the, on the south side and at City Hall, you were busy working on this investigation. You said, uh-oh, we better get this up right now. That's exactly right. Yeah, we, we had started just around Labor Day, and, and so we were deep into it. We already had downloaded a bunch of data about his recusals. He had recused himself. More than 90% of the recusals in the city council during his the period we studied were his recusals. Our headline was King of Recusals. So we had all that in hand and we were, re we were reporting out specific instances in which he had kind of shepherded his client's business through the council process and then at the very end he would gallantly stand down and say, oh, I have a conflict of interest here. So the point of our story was those conflicts played out. The vote was almost irrelevant because, as you well know. Yeah, he had already orchestrated right, everything. Right, exactly. And, and so that's what the story showed. And we kind of feel, uh, you know, we're all about trying to have impact from our, uh, our stories. And we kind of feel like that really contributed to the discussion about aldermanic prerogative and some of the other issues that uh, Mayor Lightfoot has begun to address in city council. And in the 90s, I have to point out that Chuck Neubauer and I wrote stories about how he changed the record on the votes of things that he had a conflict on after the fact. And he introduced journal corrections and then he blamed a dead man. So this has been going on for decades and mayors have tolerated it. Why? Because they didn't want to mess with him. Why? Because he could be a very negative force in city government to undermine their agenda. 
right. they and chose the path of least resistance. It, exactly. He was a powerful ally if you could enlist him as your ally because and he had the power to do those sorts of things. And for us, when you when we decide like what are we going to go look at, sometimes your best stories are kind of hiding in plain sight. Sure. You know, there's been, you know, from time to time investigative reporters like you have taken a look at him and every time anybody's really drilled down they've found something that the average person would look at and say that's terrible that things shouldn't be this way and we had kind of decided yes a lot had been written over the years about him but we kind of suspected there was more to say and sure enough uh, there really was and I, I just wanted to be before I get too far be another thing in my background I was an intern at the Sun Times. I know I and, do know that before that and it wasn't on your I remember LinkedIn you profile. were already covering City Hall and you were one of the stud reporters that I looked up to as an intern and, and then oh, uh, business writers. So it's so nice to be able to get some time. Don't to, make to me do feel this. old. <laughs> you're not. You're not. So here we are. We're approaching Lori Leifert's 100 days on Wednesday. How do you think she's doing? I think she uh, has a promising uh, but mixed start. Um, the Ethics reforms in city council, I think she's made a good amount of progress on, and there's more yet to do. Uh, some transparency stuff, for example, uh, I think she could still make progress on. Um, uh, for example, we've FOIA'd uh, records from the Infrastructure Trust, and the city has turned down our request for that. Um, we've, we've sent freedom of information requests in for her cell phone records, which was something we had a court fight with Rahm Emanuel on, and she has not turned those over to us. And so there are things that we would still like to see her do on the transparency part, which is a big thing that she ran on. Uh, one would have expected, based on her experience uh, at the police board, that she would have come in with a plan about how to address the city's crime problem, which was another huge issue that got her elected. And um, really, you, we've seen very little progress. Yes, the murder rate, the homicide rate is down from a couple years ago when it peaked, but we've had these bad weekends that seem no different really than what Rahm Emanuel was dealing with last summer and the summer before. What is different is that she at least has gotten out in the neighborhood. She's done ride-alongs. She has these Accountability Monday meetings with Eddie Johnson and his staff. Those are all good things, but where's the plan in terms of how do we fix these problems? What is her strategy? It's surprising that she didn't come in with a strategy and that she still has not yet articulated one. And so that's kind of very unfinished business. And then the other thing I would mention is that we'll be finding out next week um, exactly the way the fiscal financial problems of the city look to her. She's now indicating, hinting that it's the budget gap is going to be in the area of a billion dollars, which is more than double what she thought it was before she was elected. Um, uh, and she's got to deal with that. And she has let out very few hints about how she might do this. Uh, she's got uh, some good people that she's brought on board to help her address these problems. Uh, she's also had some setbacks. She tried to get J.B. Pritzker to help her out with pensions, and he turned her down. It was a mistake, I think. Don't I think, you think floating that? I think it was a big mistake. Uh, it's part of her being a rookie politician. You don't want to go public with a request like that unless you know the answer is going to be yes. <laughs> of course. It seems to me. Um, and, and I'm sure she's probably figuring, has figured that out by now. And you run, you run the risk of really angering him when well, you need him. Well, absolutely that. And embarrassing and, him or making him just turn kind of negative towards your requests in the future, maybe. Right, and, and maybe also not even looking at the larger context to want to understand that, that 
given the politics of the state, Pritzker can't just bail out the Chicago pension funds. He's got hundreds of other municipalities around the state that are have serious problems with their pensions. It just it it doesn't didn't make sense as a proposition. Um, and, and so she's got, and now she's got to go back down and try to get this uh, casino tax fix. She, you know, the city of Chicago could charge 33% on its uh, tax on uh, casino revenues. That, and now a study has come back saying, well, no investor is going to invest in these casinos. You're not going to get a Chicago casino. Why did she's, she agree to she, it? Right, she's got, right, exactly. Was that a rookie mistake? I, I think, uh, you know, let, let's let's take a step back and give her give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, she's stepping into a job that she had no professional preparation for. She's a top-notch lawyer, great on police, but running a big city government like this. Tony Preckwinkle had a point during the campaign saying, "What what is her executive management record?" And the problems are really substantial. Plus, she's a first-time politician too. So some of these mistakes shouldn't surprise us that that much. The question for us going forward and for her going forward is once she makes a mistake, how does she pivot? How does she learn from that error? Um, how, what does she do going forward? And that's what we'll be finding out over the next you know, six to nine months, and especially over the next few weeks as her, as her budget rolls out. So on crime, do you see Eddie Johnson making it to April when his superintendent's pension will be fully vested? I, I'll be surprised if he's still there in April, frankly. And, and here's why I say that. Um, Eddie Johnson, with a new mayor coming in, and the, given the problems that the city has dealt with, he has not come up with a new plan that he would hand off to the mayor and say, Mayor, at least as far as we know, Mayor, here's what we need to do to change. So he had an opportunity to kind of earn the job. It's to Lori's credit, in my, in my mind, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's credit, that she didn't just throw him out, that she gave him a chance to show what he can do. Well, we've gone through a summer where we haven't seen much improvement over the prior summer. Uh, so that's one thing. The other is, if you're managing the city and you know that these uh, uh, outbursts of violence are cyclical, you have this summertime period when the homicide rate and the violence rate escalates, you want your new person to be well in place with their program in place and beginning to execute it before the summertime comes. And so you don't want to wait till April to put a new superintendent of police in. You want to make that move as soon as you feel like that move is necessary. And so from her perspective, in terms of managing the city and its problems, the once you kind of have an idea that he's not the right person for the job, you need to move on that right away. And so that's why I think um, I have no inside knowledge as to her view on it, but just looking at it from outside and looking at the record so far this year and how important it is to her and the reason she got elected, I, I would expect her to move on that more quickly than April. He's so likable. He has improved morale. He is one of the guys. The bench is thin, very thin, and yes. there'll be more retirements because morale is low, and she has been fighting with the union. So who can she get? Uh, that's a big question, and let's not forget that Eddie Johnson, the um, you know the the police board made a recommendation, <laughs> none of which Rahm Emanuel accepted, and that's so right. she's already kind of surveyed the landscape and not found anybody. You know, well, she found, she found she found she the found, guy from Atlanta that they recommended, and Rahm didn't which like. Which Rahm him. didn't like. So so one way to look at it is she at least has some people that she knows that she liked previously and could go back to. That's one way to look at it. The other was. 
that group came up with three candidates who weren't up to the job based on Rahm's judgment of it at least. Well and, at the time right. they needed a morale boost. They needed right. to get these guys off their heels. Right. And, and, and there's a really interesting argument for somebody from the rank and file um, because the morale is such a huge issue. But morale is an issue uh, for a variety of reasons. One, the problems they're dealing with, and of course now the consent decree. Morale is a big issue in large measure because of the leadership of the, f the fraternal order of police and the fact that they're digging in so hard against her um, and against the consent decree, et cetera. So the new superintendent um, uh, coming in as next time perhaps as an outsider could actually be a benefit more than we've tried the insider and the morale benefits you can get from that. Sometimes a new leader can be a big morale boost as well. It doesn't have to come from the rank and file. But outsiders have a bad track record in Chicago. Uh, Jody Weiss, Gary McCarthy, uh, you know, need I say more? Well, what and about, that's just but, in but, police. But Phil Klein was an insider. Is that any better? It was okay. for a while. It was right, for a while right. until the barroom fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the, true. Yeah, the, yeah. The poor uh, bartender. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, miserable. And I think that showed there was a bigger problem in terms of kind of discipline on the police force. Um, so uh, you think it's going to be an outsider this time? I would, I would expect it would be, um, yes. And then she'll go to really go to war with the union. But well, then she's got one already, I guess. Yeah, I think there's already an undeclared one going on in, in, in a lot of ways. And, and I frankly, I can't blame her for that. I think FOP has been a real problem. Uh, I sat in on that two-day consent decree hearing, and uh, to hear person after person from the community talk about the abuses and the indifference and the bias that they are dealing with in the community, and then to hear the FOP speakers get up, the cops, again and again, you know, kind of telling the exact opposite story and displaying, a, I think we all appreciate the sense of danger that a police officer has to feel every time they get out of their car. I, I appreciate that and I can understand that. But against the stories that you heard about, about kind of lack of respect for people with disabilities, people of color, et cetera, um, the stories the FOP told about the dangers of the job just don't stack up. They have a real problem, and the FOP is only, at, even at the leadership level, is only contributing to that problem by backing people, you know, like Jason Van Dyke, like the, the four cops who helped cover up the, the Laquan McDonald shooting, like others who have been brought before um, disciplinary proceedings. Uh, there, there's a problem that any mayor would have to deal with there. Let's talk about the budget. What do you think she should do about this billion dollar shortfall? What taxes would you like to see her raise? What cuts would you like to see her make? Well, um, I, I just uh, wrote a column ahead of this budget address. Um, right, about stating, the polling. Right, about the yeah. polling, and use that really as a device to talk about the choices that she has. And when you look at the budget and you look at the cost side of the budget, where they spend their money, the big money, if you're going to make police cuts, is going to have to come from police and fire, from infrastructure and communities, you know, community investment. And I guess the question I put before people is, of those three big budget items, you're not going to cut it from the $71 million library budget. You have to find a billion dollars in savings. Do you really want to dig deeply into police in order to balance your budget? Do you really want to dig deeply in infrastructure spending or community investment? 
I think the answer to that, by and large, is no. I'm sure there are savings that we can make in those areas, but um, policing, I'm sure there's money being wasted there, but you don't want to just slash those budgets. I don't there think. are perks built into the fire contract, for sure. For sure. And, and, and I, police also, I think they have a lot of brass. There. Yes, they, they do, and and she is headed in, you know she's headed into negotiations with them where you can make incremental savings, and she needs to do that, and I think she's prepared. But even to do administratively, that. how much brass they have, how many high-ranking officers they have. I'm mean, not that you don't need supervision, but there's a hell of a lot there. Right. I, no, and 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 she needs to, and 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 she has signaled. What's interesting. Um, about this, I, I, th I think it was your story, I know what the Sun-Times broke the story in, in, in the last week or two about this memo she sent out about excessive overtime and uh, um, uh, vacation. Uh, right. And, and I think the point of that, because it's like $100 million in, in overtime spending. Right, I, I think. do. Yeah. Um, uh, the point of her doing that was to say, we are paying attention and we are going to find savings at even this incremental level uh, because we have to really kind of manage that in addition to, you know, I'm going to go be asking taxpayers for a bunch more money. Uh, we need to show that we care about those details. And so to your point about cutting police brass, et cetera, yeah, there are savings we can make. Um, they're not going to get us to a billion, to filling a billion, a billion dollar shortfall. And so she will need to look to the revenue side. Where do you want her to look? I think property taxes is going to be a problem for her because Ron doubled property taxes. He raised property taxes, what is it, three of the last four years uh, when in office. And so uh, it's going to be a political problem for her. But I, I, I'll be surprised if it's not part of the equation for her. Uh, as bad as property taxes are in Chicago, Chicago is not the most heavily taxed major city uh, in, in, in the country by, by any means. So there is when you look nationally, you say, well, there's probably still room. Uh, raising property taxes, of course, contributes to other issues like affordable housing, et cetera, gentrification neighborhoods. People who can, you know, people who ha have a hard time just hanging out of their homes, you raise property taxes. It, it creates other issues that she would have to deal with. But uh, I, I would expect that there will be property tax uh, will, will perhaps need to be a part, a big part of it. Of course, she is going for this uh, tax on uh, sale, uh, transfer tax for sales of million dollar plus homes, which I think is smart. Um, she's getting pushback from the affordable housing Who coalition. Who wanted it for that. Yeah, they and wanted she it promised for it for that. She did, and that's the problem when you're a politician running for office, you make promises that you can't always fulfill. I think she will, I think she's being prudent in saying, no, I'm going to need that money for the budget. And the other is the professional services tax. That she, this is get back to your point. She needs J.B. Pritzker's help and, and Mike, Mike Madigan's and John Cullerton's help getting those two things passed. She can't just do that on her own. So, uh, but those two things will definitely uh, feed into the solution. The other is taxes. You're saying that even if she gets what she needs from Springfield, the service tax, the transfer tax, the gambling fix, she still need, will need a property tax increase. Well, first of all, the, the gambling fix is not going to fix this year's budget. No, of course. And So and if she gets the other two, you still see a property tax. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's a billion dollars of revenue in, in those in two. The, and let's say she cuts a couple hundred million dollars from the city budget. Um, I don't think there's $800 million in revenue from, the, from those two. So she's going to have to look to other places. And if that's she, when the honeymoon comes crashing to a it, halt. Yeah. Um, now, if, if she, if for some reason property tax is too much of a third rail given Rom's history and, and where people are on property taxes right now, she has to look to some of these other taxes. The, the, you know, 
Um, the ride-sharing fee. The, or right, the Uber tax, the hotel tax, et cetera, et cetera. So the parking I, tax. Uh, I, I just don't know if you can tax. raise enough money from those that sources. Way. When you look at the revenue stream of the city, the big bulk of it, the, the money is in property taxes. And right. that's where you, you go to money to find more money is kind of the way a budgeter looks at these things. Is there anything about her demeanor that you are troubled by as we begin this this period and end the honeymoon here? Uh, it's something to pay attention to. And it was it was always one of the questions of the going back to the question of her executive leadership abilities. And in the reporting that that, that I did, that you did and others during the campaign, that was always one of the questions is because she had the reputation of being a very sharp elbowed thin-skinned, temperamental person. And there are leaders who can be really tough and still get things done. Rahm Emanuel, uh, case in point, you know, very, everybody knows he was very, very tough. Um, he tended to be very disciplined, though, about where he showed his peak, and he chiefly showed his peak, as we know, uh, to his staff or one-on-one -on -one to a reporter he didn't like. Um, he didn't tend to uh, publicly berate or belittle people. And I can understand, for example, her at least two times belittling Ed Burke, okay, for any number of reasons. I can see her going after members of the FOP when they've spoken at council meetings. But when she's gone after individual citizens uh, who have spoken up, where there's this case where somebody said, Mayor, you're not paying attention. She was pulling out a notebook to write down notes, apparently, and she lashed back at him with kind of the same degree of energy that which she scolded the FOP speakers, that's just, that's, what's the point of that? And, and she needs to be more disciplined. Um, uh, now, when you see her out and in, in public, she does have uh, an ability to connect to people, I think, that Ron never quite had. Ron really didn't have that in his DNA. She does have more of a common touch than Rahm had. The ride-alongs with police, for example, I think are, are evidence of her uh, kind of caring about um, uh, people at, at the grassroots level that, that I think she has in her that she can cultivate more. Um, but what will be interesting over time will be to see um, whether her staff is stable, whether people find her a, to be a boss that they are, well, we've uh, already had one change right, in the which, communications. Which, yeah. which probably was needed. Yeah. Um, it, the, her communications office so far has been an unmitigated disaster, I think. Um, How so? Uh, the number of people, part of my job, I'm meeting with uh, leaders of the city talking about the BGA and what we're trying to accomplish, et cetera. People who are really high-powered, important people whom you think ought to be able to get the ear of the mayor of the city of Chicago, certainly were able to get Rahm's ear. Uh, they, a lot of them are saying, yeah, I haven't been able to get a meeting with her. I haven't been able to get her on the phone, that kind of thing. So it's not just reporters that, you know, I know I'm not surprised that it's been hard to get an interview scheduled. Uh, we just, we did a major story on O'Hare. We did a months long investigation into the history of contracting problems at O'Hare. Mayor Lightfoot um, made contract procurement a big part of her claim for credibility as a candidate. She ran procurement for the city, was, was high-level leader of procurement. She claims to know where all the bodies are buried when it comes to contracting. 
The mayor did not respond to our yeah. request. So for there him. you go. That's it. Right. And, yeah. and so you, you do it from the, the high level office towers to reporters who have a legitimate call for a little bit of the mayor's time to talk about an issue she claims expertise on. That tells you the communications thing was not going well. And it's to her credit that she recognized that as now has tried to fix it. A new CEO needs to come in and make those decisions. But then the question longer term will be, does the staff that, that she has recruited, like say somebody like Jeannie Long Bennett, who's their CFO, uh, comes in having run the finances at CPS, former Morgan Stanley person, pretty good pedigree, seems up to the job. Does she hang on to people like that? Do those turn out to have yeah. been good picks by her or do they not? That, that's what we'll find out over time. David Grising, thank you so much for joining us. And we will watch with interest as the 100 days turns into four years. Uh, 100 days to me has always seemed to be a very bizarre measurement. It's a Washington thing. We are doing it here, but we but need to see her She for set four it years. out as a marker, though, right? She yeah, gave herself 100 days right. to address the ethics problem, so it's not just journalists who are looking at it that way. Yeah. Okay. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.